Welcome to the XM Podcast. Here is your host, mental health therapist, Matthew Kanabi. I am very hard on myself, dealt with severe anxiety. And it made me feel like a monster. I didn't have energy to care. There was just nothing more but to face what I had been running from. I'm already an anxiety-filled mess. It's just love. Like, it just goes back to love. Well, welcome back to season five of the XM Podcast. This episode marks the 86th podcast we have released since starting back in 2020. Thank you for supporting and listening to this show over the last several years. It's so cool to see how this podcast continues to grow. Looking forward to another great year of conversations, interviews, topics, and growth for all of us. So a couple seasons ago, I got to interview Nancy Larker on the podcast, who was a great guest. And about a month or so ago, she reached out to me and said, I need to connect with the person that we're going to have on the podcast today. I'm so glad she did because I think the audience will enjoy hearing from her and also really getting into her book. I'm knee deep into reading the first book that she has authored, and I'm telling you, it's really good. Please welcome to the podcast, licensed professional counselor, Jen Hoffman. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have had a heart for counseling and writing as far back as I can remember. Um, I grew up in a home where we didn't talk about negative emotions. They were not incredibly welcome, but there was always something in me that felt this desire to understand them. And I always knew that there was a place for them and that there was a purpose. And so I have just consistently sought out opportunities to learn more about what our feelings mean and what they mean to God, right? Having this desire to understand more about what God has for us and what he wants us to do with these hard places in our lives. So when I went to college, I really learned about grace for the first time from a pastor that shared a story. I share this story frequently, but a pastor that shared a story about counseling a man that was in the hospital with HIV. And in my mind, my fire and brimstone past was, oh, this is it. Like this man's going to hell. He's going to get He's going to get the blunt end of the Bible. Uh And this pastor shared how he reached out his hand and held this man's hand and told him how much God loved him. Uh And I think that introduction to grace, as small as it may seem, really opened up my relationship with Jesus and really wanted made me want to understand who God was more. So from there, I studied family science, which was basically an MRS degree, Uh but it was a great precursor to marriage and family therapy. So fast forward to today, I was able to stay home with my kids and now practice where I can help couples work through their conflict and work with individuals I absolutely, I just love, I love therapy. So it's incredible how in that time at home, I always felt like there's still something more for me. There's still somewhere I need to go and something else that God has for me. But he really shaped those days at home that seemed small and maybe insignificant 
to give me opportunities to learn how to speak to others and to love others well and to understand life, right, at its different stages. And so it, it fascinates me, and, and, and you and I are, are uh, both licensed professional counselors. Talk, talk a little bit about your journey into desiring to do that. Uh, oftentimes, uh, for me, uh, the experience I've, I've met with other therapists is there's some type of calling at some point. You know, it's like mm-hmm. most times, and this probably isn't accurate all the time, you don't just kind of fall into becoming a mental health therapist. There's usually some type of journey or door or calling that God's pulling you through. What, what was a little bit of your experience? I think most therapists would probably agree that we get into the field because there's some part of our past that -hmm. we're trying to understand. And so to be completely honest, when I started the program, I think I needed therapy (laughs) and I thought, what's the most expensive way to heal? (laughs) And so I went into and studied marriage and family therapy. I went that route as opposed to community work. Um, or, you know, the community program, because I'm just so fascinated by the system. So Mm -hmm. I have a very nerdy systems brain of understanding how we interact with one another. Um, But that, I think, longing for that in my own life too, finding a healthy marriage example, Mm -hmm. and a healthy family. I just went the longest route possible, but it really did equip me a lot of therapists um, get into therapy because they've been so messed up. You know, it's like we're we're just a pool of of people that are wounded, but we went on a journey um, that now we're able to um, kind of help others with not only that education but that life experience and those um, things that we set out to do. And I think it's funny; it's it's a real expensive way um, to to get your own therapy, but there, there's so much. Right. Truth in that. That's good. <laughs> Um, talk a little bit about the practice that you do now and, and, and the work that you do. And, and um, are, are you actively seeing um, clients currently? And, and what does that look like? I am. So I had this golden egg opportunity. I'm working with Almavia Counseling Services. Mm-hmm. It's not a Christian agency, but it's a private practice run by my good friend, Christina Shackelford. And just a fun little backstory, Christina and I were good friends throughout the MFT program. And so she had a sense of how I handle the topic of Christianity, since we have some different views on that. Mm -hmm. And we've always respectfully agreed to disagree. But because of our history, she welcomed that perspective in the practice. So the other counselors that I work with often work with individuals. And because my passion is really couple and family work. It's been a great opportunity to jump in and provide that service to the agency as well. So it was one of those opportunities that I just had to take. Now, being a, you know not a Christian agency, that's not expected from my clients. They aren't always seeking faith-based therapy, sure. but I've found that you know, when I pray for them before a session and ask the Holy P- Spirit to still be present, there's still that influence. There's still that truth that's in the room without them feeling pressured in any way. That's good. I, you know, um, 
working at Emerge, um, not everybody knows what Emerge is, obviously, but uh, many that do know we're a um, you know a Christian ministry that's been around for fifty. This is our fifty-first year. Um, but in the years I've been doing therapy, not all my clients are Christian. You know, a lot of a lot of the clients who come to uh, Emerge are not um, believers or have a faith, and, and we love that. And um, I love the idea, and I've sh- probably shared this many times on the podcast of sitting with a client who you know, in, in session one or two is like, yeah, I'm really not interested in maybe talking about faith. I'm not really interested in praying and stuff like that. And I respect that. I will never uh, force anybody um, into any faith practices or anything like that. But it's also, I'm allowed to internally pray um, for those mm-hmm. clients and I, and I will do that. But I, I don't know what the number is, but it's pretty high. I would say up in the nineties, four, five, six sessions later, they usually come back and say, Hey, do you remember talking about praying with me? Or do you remember talking about scripture? Would you be willing to do that now? And so those are um, just amazing opportunities. And um, I love the fact that, that um, people are open to those things, especially after they get comfortable with you for a little bit and realize, Hey, I'm, I'm not going to be judgmental and I'm not here to, you know, as you would kind of sing, bring the blunt side of the Bible down on you and, and love that. How, how do you find, and, and we'll come, we're going to move into some other areas, but how do you find uh, integrating your faith works in an environment quite like that? So honestly, it's, it's pretty natural in that I believe, you know, truth is truth. And so <laughs> as I'm presenting an intervention or some therapeutic idea to them, the Bible has already backed it up. Like cognitive behavioral therapy is Romans 12 too. Mm -hmm. It's the transformation of our minds. It's Mm -hmm. neuroplasticity. It's Mm -hmm. that idea that our minds are able to be renewed and restored. So I will, I will encourage clients as I feel that it's appropriate that if they've expressed some experience in the church or something in their life that is missing in a way that I will address the possibility of a faith walk for them. I do it very cautiously because I know that, you know, this is not my practice. And so I'm really trying to toe the line between what God would have for this client and being bold in that way and also respecting, you know, some of the guidelines, I guess, of where I am, Sure, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I, th- I think you and I both would agree there there's no better counselor than uh, the Holy spirit in a session. Mm-hmm. And um, again, I've said this many times too. I probably sound like a broken record to some of our listeners, but um, a lot of the therapies I'm trained in is about positioning someone to experience transformation through the Holy Spirit. And mm-hmm. um, if I'm able to have a client have a Jesus encounter in a session, we're off. I mean, there, there's not there's m- nothing I think greater than that. Mm-hmm. Even though they might be coming in for a symptomatic issue, you know, they're coming in for depression, but really. I already know if they're coming in with an anxiety issue underneath that is a mm-hmm. God-sized hole somewhere that we're trying to fill with all kinds of other things, which leads me into your book. And um, I'm going to 
I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about how you got started in it, but at the, I think it's the end of the first chapter, maybe the second chapter, you have a beautiful picture of a heart with a hole and then mm. next to it is a heart. And it looks kind of like you've, you've put the image on the cover of your book, maybe into that where it's like almost like a, a, a Jesus feeling. I, mm. I don't, that was my interpretation. I could be wrong. But it looks like, you know, we're kind of, I, I say this all the time, we're, we're always born with this God-sized hole, and then mm-hmm. you kind of show it filled with this beautiful blossom flowers or, or whatever. Um, before we get into the book, can you talk about that picture? Because I do think it's super powerful. Sure. And that's funny. They actually are two separate images, but I think this explosion of growth mm-hmm. out of the broken places is for sure the underlying theme of the book. Mm-hmm. So that heart is at the end of the portion where I'm talking about walking through grief with clients. Yes. And that's honestly been one of the most beautiful processes to walk through. But I've found that those clients are feeling like it's gone through them, like it's left them empty, like it's taken something from them to be living in this grief. And so by the time they come in, they're seeking, they want to talk about this pain, but they also want to move on from it. And for whatever reason, whether it's, you know, loyalty to that person that they've lost Mm -hmm. or just feeling stuck that they're unable to. And so that idea that we can take that loss and plant that seed and allow growth to come out of it. And so Practically what that looks like is talking about the loss and talking about the person giving that, you know, that client the, the space to speak freely and love and experience the loss so that they can move through it. it so the idea is that instead of it being something that's gone through us, it's a part of us where we can grow out of. Yeah, that's good. So, um, the book is called Out of the Garden, Breaking Free from Sin and Shame. Um, you and I talked a little bit in the uh, before we hit record. Uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about the precipice of going, hey, you know what? I'm going to start writing a book. Like That's just not something you, uh, I, I imagine is like the easiest process, but um, really excited to kind of hear your your journey into going, you know what? I think this is a reality and I can do this. Mm-hmm. So I have wanted to write a book for a very long time. One of the ways that I processed some of the pain growing up in my family was journaling. Mm -hmm. And I found as an adult, when I would look back on those pages, that I would work through the pain. I would just let it out full force. But there was always a piece at the end that was, you know, I know that God's still watching over me. I'm not lost. And I think that looking back, I can really see he was always like the thread of truth running through my story. So even though there was hurt, I always had that hope in him, even when I wasn't seeking it. It was like just having Christ in my heart was able to sustain me through some of those periods. And so as an adult, it's been on my bucket list to write a book and I've been waiting for the right topic as you know, from the early chapter in my book, I have a lot of interests. So it's like farming, chickens, what's it going to be? And so this particular topic was actually, these were the notes from a presentation that I gave at Mom Weekend out 
out at Camp Carl. And as I was preparing for this, I was like, this is it. This is my book. So I wrote my presentation notes like chapters, which was not ideal, but (laughs) it ended up giving me this amazing foundation. I had an opportunity to share it with women and have their input immediately about the content. So I, I just got to work with writing out my chapters. Um, I was very stuck on one chapter, the consider the source. It's Mm. about someone that's close to me. And I really wanted to honor that person. But I still felt that I needed to share that story. And uh, so Nancy Larker was actually the one that really encouraged me and helped me to get out of that place Mm. that I was feeling stuck and say, you need to finish this book. That's awesome. I, um, it's a beautiful book. Um, and, uh, I'm probably almost about halfway through it. You you were very, very kind to give me a copy of the book and I have been, uh, uh, in, into it and then kind of skimmed, skimmed because our, 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 uh, podcast was coming up. I'm like, I'm not going to be able to get to the Mm -hmm. end of this book by the time we, but I'm so excited about it. It, it, One of the cool things that you've done in the book is each chapter at the end has some takeaways and then some things to think about. And I think that's a really awesome um, gift to the reader because you kind of give some bullet points of going, Hey, these are the things that you need to be thinking about from what you just read. And then here's some, even a scripture um, that goes along with some of these things for you to meditate and pray on. First off, that's an awesome idea. Uh, I love that. And and I think it's a really cool way to um, give the, the reader a little bit of going, okay, I just read a whole chapter. Uh, what do I need to do with this? So I guess my first kind of question about the book is who out there, who listening really needs to go and get this book? And, and who, who, who did you kind of have in mind um, when you were writing going, this is, this is where this book needs to fall into these hands. I feel that this book is for people that feel stuck, mm. no matter if they identify as a believer or not. I wrote this book with friends in mind that are atheist, agnostic, you know, Catholic, Protestant, that it's for anyone. It's for someone that is curious about what the Bible has to say, but how that plays out in a person's life. Mm-hmm. And so really someone that is at a place where they're willing to be vulnerable with themselves and go into the places that are hard to look at and to say, you know, what could this mean for me? And mm. does this resonate with me? That's good. Um, one of the, um, I'm, I'm just going to do a direct quote. Um, you, you say you're an advocate for mental health. Um, and then you say, some believe that depression and anxiety are the result of weak faith and loose morals. Talk about that because I think that's a massive theme, especially within the church. Um, but also I think people who maybe aren't living, um, with faith feel that as well. And, um, I've heard time and time again, and you, you continue on in in that, uh, paragraph just kind of talking about some of the examples, but I've heard, um, when people are suffering from mental health issues, you're not praying enough. 
you're not in scripture enough. And and to me, that just deeper roots the shame of mm-hmm. the whole concept. So that that section really stood out to me. And um being an advocate for mental health myself, um, mm-hmm. talk about a little bit of that, the depression and anxiety, the result of weak faith or loose morals. Mm-hmm. You know, they are so deeply rooted in our experiences, in our past, in in our present. And these symptoms of anxiety and depression, I view them as a signal from our body that something is out of balance. Mm-hmm. And they're letting us know that something isn't sitting right. I think what's challenging is that even within the church, and I, I believe in the church I, of Christ, right? Like I believe that that okay. is still where we learn. But even in the church, we're finding this idea that, you know, do not be anxious about anything. If you are, then there's, you're not doing it right. Yeah. Um, so I think just this idea that setting boundaries can be so difficult, but so necessary for us. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest that even in my own life, I balance what the Bible has to say about keeping the peace at all costs and what the world says about setting boundaries for my own mental health. Mm-hmm. I think merging the two, it, there's just this tension that we walk through. So I, I struggle with that. I struggle with the idea that our faith is not strong enough if we're experiencing these symptoms. Yeah. I think that they are a gift from our body that's saying, Hey, I'm I'm looking out for you. And maybe from the Holy spirit at times, letting us know that something's out of balance and it could be sin. It could be loose morals and a weakened faith, but it's not fair to automatically assume those things. Yeah. I totally agree. You know, I I think a lot of times these symptomatic issues are, uh, they're like alarm systems within our body. Mm And saying, you know, oftentimes I know um, I, I've dealt with anxiety and panic in, in my life. And um, it's usually my body saying, you know, you haven't um, reconciled with some of these things and you keep avoiding them or suppressing them. And mm-hmm. it's time we're letting you know the body's um, going to respond. And whether you're going to follow us or not, um, that's kind of where for, for my experience, like the, where the panic um, which led me into the mental health field would, would, uh, start from, and that was a lot of things where I was just kind of avoiding, avoiding, avoiding. And eventually my body said, yeah, you're done avoiding that. So shut you down and you're going to have to deal with some of these things. So I love that. I think that that's absolutely true. Um, that it's a, it's a signal. And I, I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's a thing that I've noticed, especially um, working in the field that that I do, um, so many people carry ch- church uh, wounds, um, mm-hmm. and, and and I think a lot of times it's it it's not necessarily coming from a bad place, but like when you're dealing with severe anxiety or or, or depression or some of the other um, diagnoses, a person in the church doesn't always know how to deal with that, and their automatic response mm-hmm. is going, "Well, I, this is over my head. Why don't you start praying more?" But you're actually doing more harm than mm-hmm. really helping. And um, Emerge's story, I mean, we were born out of that. Doc Dobbins, who started Emerge in the 70s, 
his wife dealed with uh, clinical depression and he would go to the church and he would go, you know, and ask, and they were like, she's not praying enough and she's not reading her Bible enough. And it's like, there's, you're not going to find another person on this planet that prays more than this woman or is in her mm-hmm. Bible more than this person. And then they went to the medical field and that wasn't helping because they were just trying to medicate, medicate, medicate. And, and eventually he's like, there's, there has to be something else within this. And I think there's a combination of, of utilizing what we know about psychology and then what we know about faith, but integrating both of those and allowing people to heal. I mean, does that resonate? Mm-hmm. It does. Yes. Um, I think that's sort of the root of this book also, that when I considered the more we are experiencing those symptoms, the more we do require rest though. Mm. And that was where I really had to dive in and get a picture of what that meant because the world's model of rest is like massages and pedicures and um, maybe a shopping spree or, you know, physical health. And those are all wonderful things, but they still require energy and resources and still are taking something from us. And Mm. so that was where I found this kind of the flip side of this scarcity mindset that there's a not a, not enough of all of that to go around, but the abundance mindset is finding that rest in the Lord and taking that time to understand his word, taking that tension between what the world says and what the Bible says. Hmm. You you, yeah. you kind of brought up a point. No, you're good. You brought up a point that I, I was leading into, and there's a um, mm. section in one of the early chapters where you talk about scarcity thinking. Mm-hmm. And I think it's um, a really interesting concept. I hadn't I hadn't thought about it with that title, and so um, I'm really interested to, to hear you kind of um, explain a little bit of the concept of scarcity thinking and and why it reigns so true, especially in our culture. Mm-hmm. So the scarcity thinking is actually a concept that's been around for years. It's been studied, I think, since the early 70s. And that was this idea that we want what there's less of. That's right. And so, you know, they did this with two things of cookie jars. The one with the least cookies, that jar was the most preferred by study participants. Mm -hmm. So when we see an empty shelf, um, you and I are about the same age. So, you know, when there would be a demand for a toy and you have to get in line, that idea that you have to have that thing, right? Mm -hmm. And it's so much easier now with social media Mm -hmm. constantly putting these things in our face. But the idea that that will make me whole. I need more to be more. Yeah. And the gospel takes that and says, you can be less and be filled more. Yeah. And it makes no sense. So we come back to it and try to understand what that looks like. And to me, it sort of blew my mind that as I was hurrying, especially writing this book, I experienced mm-hmm. the scarcity because I was running out of time and I had a deadline in mind. And just the idea that there were times I had to Sabbath. I took Sunday and here I am writing about needing that rest and not resting on Sunday. And the beautiful thing in that was that you know I would take the day off and then this truth would just land on my heart because it was quiet and it was ready 
and I could hear it in that moment. But when I'm rushing and trying to cram things into my day, I'm not listening and I'm just feeling depleted. So the idea that when you have so much to accomplish that the best thing to do can be to slow down, mm. that's wild, right? Yeah. But that's where I think that your faith can grow in so many ways because you can see how God fills that space and honors that attempt. Yeah. And so just to kind of follow from the idea that, you know, this is what the church is presenting when we approach anxiety and depression. I think the solution is true, but this book is really to get people to that place in between that. Yes, I do believe that rest in God is the answer, but how can we get you there? Mm -hmm. What's, what's keeping you from getting there? That's good. One of the other things that you had written in that um, section with scarcity thinking is another person's success could interfere with my own. Mm -hmm. And um, when you really think about it, and I don't mean to be uh, crass, but that's so messed up. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's so messed up. I, I'm thinking about all the times in my life, and and this kind of moves into that comparison. And, mm -hmm. and fear that there's not enough room for people's success. But like um, part of my journey, you know, the first 15 years of, well, from 15 to 30, I was in the music industry. And I remember uh, moving to Nashville and just thinking how competitive this world of music was and thinking everybody is willing to step on anybody's head to get ahead. Mm -hmm. um, and at one point, I just remember going, you know, wouldn't it be nice if we were just a community and all these musicians could work together and we could play shows together and we can help each other out on the road. And mm -hmm. if you meet somebody, we can introduce you to that person. And there was a, a short period of time where that actually started happening in Nashville. And it was super fun and, and bands were thriving and musicians were thriving mm -hmm. and the art was thriving. And then eventually, you know, it, it fizzled and all went away and went back to, you know, cutthroat or whatever. But it was like, mm -hmm. that was a moment in my life where I realized it doesn't have to be like that. In most areas of our life, I do think it's unfortunate that we live in this place of comparison and that somebody else's success will be pulling away from mine. So I, I, I got on a soapbox, but I, I think it's important to, to uh, pull that that out because it's such a huge part of our life and mm -hmm. it uh, is. my uh, my pastor um in a sermon uh, a while back he said anytime you compare your life or your wife's life or your your husband's life to somebody else they're going to lose it's never a healthy comparison because you're always going to mm -hmm. take the worst attributes of yourself or the people in your inner circle to somebody you really don't know. And you're taking the best that they're giving you. So it's an unfair comparison. Mm -hmm. I do think that that's oftentimes what can then contrib contribute to the things that we're talking about, depression, anxiety, so on and so forth. Yeah. What, what are your thoughts around some of those concepts? So that's funny. I do deal with comparison later in the book mm -hmm. and how it leads to competition between us. And so a lot of what you're saying, just like at one point, there's a chart where I show how we can take this, this comparison leads to, I don't know if I'll remember them all in order, you know, leads to competition, which leads to conflict between us. So if we can shift that, we can take those feelings that we're having and 
try to collaborate with one another, not step on top of each other and work together, figure out we each have a part in this. So what does that look like? We can all fit. This is not a pie, a piece, you know, this is not a pie where little slices are disappearing. This is like tree rings. There's space Mm -hmm. for all of us in this to grow. Um, So that's my own little tangent i suppose <laughs> yeah well i but, I've, even, I've seen it in the mental health field too and it's like i i've, I've uh, had the opportunity to, to speak on a lot of occasions to um peers and um uh, people who work in this field i can't i don't i gotta be careful i don't like to see competition within the field of mental health mm-hmm. um there is no shortage of people experiencing maladaptive behaviors, maladaptive mm-hmm. emotional feelings, um, traumas in this world that we don't have enough places to go. You know, d- d- does that make sense? Yeah. It's like, Oh, it does. Yeah. Most, most places I've talked, I mean, I, one of my responsibilities is, is hiring it, it emerge. And I, I mean, I, I can't hire enough therapists. It's like, mm-hmm. we don't need to be in competition on any level with each other with the state of the affairs in the world currently. Um, I tell people all the time, I would love, I wouldn't love nothing more than for a day to come to work and they go, you know what? We have to shut this place down because there is no more need for mm-hmm. mental health therapists. Like I, I dream of that day. My, my heart tells me that is not going to be on this side of, of heaven or, mm-hmm. or the side of, of this living experience. But man, what, a, what an amazing opportunity. I would love to find another career. If if we are not in <laughs> anymore, that would be brilliant. I would love that, but yeah. I don't. I don't think that's the reality. But it just it brought up a really great point that I think, um, that's such a worldly mindset is looking at somebody else's success and going, well, that's now going to affect or smaller the opportunities for me. Um, mm-hmm. It's really good. Some of the other things that that I wanted to touch on, uh, you you talk about time identity. Um, there was a, a section that you were kind of talking about, you know, and I, 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 I utilize this a lot and that's why it hit me is, you know, we all have 24 hours in a day. So how are we going to utilize that? And you were kind of talking about, you know, being a mom and, you know, doing all, trying to do all these things, but really time is kind of the ultimate equalizer. Like you and I have the same amount in a day. Like, um, you know, this person may make way more money than I do. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, we have the same amount of time to spend. How is time important in all of these things that we're kind of talking about? It is the great equalizer. Mm -hmm. It is really the passion behind what started this book, my desire to do it all. I want to be all the things. Life is short. I'm passionate about it. I was a late bloomer figuring out all the beautiful things that we could be doing. So I have found a new way of looking at it through writing the book. I think writing the book was like worship for me because as I would begin writing and truth would be revealed to me in a way that it was just like the light just in front of my feet. Finishing the book was just just enough right in front of me to know what was going to come next. And I had to give up time and what I expected from it, if that makes sense. I had to give up my expectations of all the things that I want to do 
in a way and realize that I don't have to do these things to have value. Yeah. I think a part of my identity probably is wrapped up in the idea that productivity will prove my worth. Yeah. While I enjoy these things, I also love being productive and I love that people enjoy the things, the art or photography, whatever that I can share. And so giving that up and having the truth in those quiet spaces that you don't have to create an identity, like you are in Christ and you know, you don't have to create anything beyond that. You are loved, you are worthy. And now use the time that you have (laughs) Mm -hmm. from the heart, not, you know, to win anyone over. I I think um, I could be wrong, but I think it is the very first line of the book is what, um, what do you want to be known for? Is that, um, Mm -hmm. is that right? I think it's like Mm -hmm. one of the first lines of the book. And that kind of, it, it, it kind of sets up the whole thing of, you know, what are you doing with your time and what is your identity? And um, how do you, I mean, you, you don't have to necessarily answer that, but I mean, mm-hmm. talk to me about that's a, that's a pretty powerful statement. What, what is it that we want to be known for? I think every person on some level has to answer that question at some point in their life. Um, and, and, and that leads me then to like, what is our legacy? You know, what are we, um, how are we leaving our, our, our legacy behind? So what are you, what do you think about that? When I wrote that question, I was picturing my friends that are in the world of social media in different capacities, filtering and, uh, you know, sculpting their appearance, um, presenting themselves for financial opportunities, all things that no judgment, but my heart for them as I watched and kind of felt like they were losing a part of themselves and not loving a part of themselves as they wanted to be known for skinny or productive, which I can relate to, um, or beautiful or popular, you know, these things that we all seek at a young age and continue to battle with. So the question was at the end, you know, for you to finish well in this life, for you to feel proud and um, confident in the life that you've lived, what do you want to be known for? Do you want to be known for someone that was able to maintain a perfect physical appearance? Mm -hmm. Do you want to be known for your compassion or your kindness or your ability to show up for the people Mm. that you love? Yeah. And that's a question I have to face too, right? Like that's, it's on my heart. So I'm asking it to myself just as much. Yeah. It's a question that I don't know is the same answer in every phase of life, but it's one you constantly have to be asking. And Mm -hmm. and sometimes that answer may be different depending on what your life circumstances are. Um, But I know there was a period of time in my life, probably my early twenties, mid twenties, I wasn't asking that question. And when that questions started to come up on my radar. It's like you start living differently and you start mm-hmm. looking at the world a little bit differently because now it's a it's a bigger scope than just what is good for me right now and what is, you know, right in front of me that is um, you know, what I want to achieve versus, 
well, how, how am I affecting the people around me? What legacy am I leaving? And what do I want to be remembered for? And I think that's really good. Jen, so what's next for you? Anything after, like what's, what's ahead? What, what are you looking forward to? So I still have lots of plans, and <laughs> lots of goals. Sure. I would love to start doing marriage workshops. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trained in the Gottman method, if you're mm-hmm. familiar with it. And sure. I absolutely love what it's able to offer my clients. And because I am very part-time, I would love to reach more couples at one mm-hmm. time. So my heart is still to grow the practice in some way that I can help more people with less time, right? Use that time efficiently. Another book, I have a few ideas in mind and I'm taking a little break. So after finishing this book, I rested because my family sacrificed a lot of time for me to complete this book. So I'm sort of resting on that and waiting for some direction. Um, and yeah, and in the meantime, I've become part of a, I've become a board member on Faithful Still, mm-hmm. which is a counseling ministry grassroots operation that will involve animal assisted therapy and sessions that take place in gardens. And Yeah, I, I think it, I looked into it. You and I had talked I don't know, a month or so ago and, and you had mentioned that. So I looked into it and I think it's really cool and something I, I would love to even see. Uh, maybe emerge uh, partner with because I just think mm. there's there's opportunities that we can't provide on our campus with some of the things that they're doing um, that might be a great referral uh, for us and and that might be another podcast down the road you and I could have uh, talking about that which would be super Absolutely. cool. So I always like to ask this question and uh, if you have an answer, great. If you don't, it's okay. But is there anything that you're listening to musically? Is there anything you're reading or is there anything that you're watching? Because there's so much content out there. Uh, there's so many different platforms that people are getting uh, overwhelmed with information. I love when I have a guest that um, can help maybe go, hey, here's something that would be good for your soul to check out, to listen to, to watch, to read anything on your radar right now, Jen? Mm-hmm. Yes. So listening to, I am still an avid Taylor Swift fan. So <laughs> that may not be the recommendation for <laughs> you, and the, you and the rest of the world. Apparently. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny when you mentioned the cover, the flowers on the cover of the book are mm-hmm. all from her songs. So I call oh, it really? the Taylor Swift garden. That's like a little, stalkery side of me no i needed some direction (laughs) and design um but no a book that i just completed and i cannot say enough about it it has a similar cover with all of the flowers exploding out of it it's called nothing wasted by casey van norman okay she's an lpc in texas and the book begins with her sharing an account of a two and a half year affair that she had So you're immediately blown away by, oh, you're saying this, you're Mm -hmm. sure you should be saying this, but it is, it is wildly honest. It is just her whole walk through how she got to that point and what God has done with her life since that place is so inspiring. I highly, highly recommend it. I will, I will check it out. Um, Jen, anything else you would like to share with our uh, audience and, and the people who are listening right now? 
I am just so thankful for anyone that um, gives these words an opportunity to land on their heart. I am praying for those readers and our listeners, just that God will reach them in a way, just that the way they need it, that his truth will shine through and just strengthen their faith. That's great. Uh, People can find the book where? currently on amazon and we're in the process of target and walmart online great and they can find you at jen hoffman lpc that's jen with one n um because mm-hmm. i did look up there's I, I i accidentally put jen with two n's and that's a mm. different person than you um so jen with good one, to know <laughs> jen with one n <laughs> Um, I think she was an author as well. Um, I don't know what she was writing about, but I was like, I don't feel like this is the same Jen. (laughs) And and, and you gave me uh, a really nice uh, bookmark and it has all your info. And I was like, oh, that's why it's because it's not Jen with two N's, but Jen with one N Hoffman LPC. Uh, You can find her on social media and um, Jen Hoffman LPC.com. Jen, thanks so much uh, for being a part of this and and spending time with me and writing your book. It's it's really incredible and you've done a, a tremendous job. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, thank you, Jen, for sharing about yourself and the book that you put so much into. I encourage you, if you connected with what Jen shared, check out her book called Out of the Garden. We are always looking for new guests on the XM podcast. And if you or someone you know would be a great guest for our audience, email us at experience at emerge.org. Thank you again for listening and sharing these episodes that we continue to release. It really means a lot to us. For more information on Emerge and what we do as a counseling ministry, visit emerge.org. Well, until next time, or when our Savior comes, God bless.